Well, let's go ahead and get started. Let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity, for the, for the freedom we have to join together freely and, and uh, without fear, to gather in your name, to, to study your word. And Lord, we need your help. Lord, the truths of your scriptures are spiritually discerned. And Lord, we need the help of your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to give us understanding, to help us to grasp and embrace the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that you are at work in our lives and you have been at work in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would continue to do that tonight as we talk about the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, does everybody have a handout? Uh, good. And has everybody signed in? Where's the, uh, is the, okay. Anybody not signed in? I'll just ask you to get your name there. Uh, everybody say goodbye to Bob and Krista. Bye, Bob. And, see, we're already, I'm already losing customers. This is bad. This is not a good sign. No, just kidding. Um, my name is Dave Wilson, and I'm one of the, uh, one of the pastors and elders uh, here at the church. I'm one of the non-vocational elders, or as I call the vacational elders. So I don't actually work uh, for the church in the sense of being paid. I'm not on staff, but uh, I do have the privilege of serving with other guys. So, hey, come on in. Are you in this class? Oh, well, any, any spot that's open, feel free to come on in. Um, I think, uh, up, is it upstairs? Children's room? Okay. Um, my name is Dave Wilson. I mentioned that already. But um, my family has actually been here. We've been privileged to be here at the church really from the very beginning. We, uh, my wife and I, and at the time our two, uh, our three-year-old and our two-year-old moved over from Orlando with a group of folks to help plant this church. Uh, it's like 22 years ago. So we uh, were privileged to kind of link arms with folks that were already here, uh, the Corbs, uh, Don and Tracy, and, and different folks that lived here in St. Petersburg. But um, that's a little bit of, of our history. So we've, we've been here since day one. Really, ultimately, what that means is people have been putting up with me for a very long time. They're very patient. Uh, folks like Ron, who was here when we came over uh, all those years ago. So <clears throat> um, I do lead a community group. We meet over on the west side of town, close to... Uh, the Tyrone Mall. So if anybody um, is looking for a community group, you're welcome to visit anytime. Love to have you. And um, that's about it by way of introduction. So let's talk um, about the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to start with a quote. There's uh, an author by the name of Gordon Fee, and he's written a book called God's Empowering Presence. And it's really, it's a study of, of anything that has to do with the Holy Spirit in the writings of Paul. So in Romans and in all the epistles of Paul, 
he goes through and is studying what, what do the scriptures say about the person of the Holy Spirit? You know, so we have God the Father, God the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. So we're going to focus on the third member of the Trinity. He has this quote <clears throat> which says, For Paul, Christian life not only begins by means of the Spirit, the whole life is a matter of spirit. One must finish the same way that one began, through the empowering and appropriating work of the Spirit. So we're going to talk about the church's power. We're going to talk about the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and in uh, our life as a church to give us power. So we're going to talk about what is that power for? What is that power intended to help us to do? And, you know, the Holy Spirit often can be not really discussed that often. You know, we could feel like, and maybe even in, in the first couple of messages, you could talk about Jesus, and, we, and rightly so, we focus on Jesus Christ, the Son, who's our Savior and our Lord, and that's good. We could talk about the Father, and you could feel like, okay, I have a, I have a good sense for the Father heart of God, just the fact that he reveals him, himself as Father tells me something about the fact that he's loving and that he provides and he's good. And then you have the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we can feel a little, I, I don't know, the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure how to understand him. And actually in this book by Gordon Fee, he talks about uh, a time where he's bringing his young son to church. And he says, hey, we're talking about the Holy Spirit today. And the son is young. He says, well, I don't see him. He says, well, the, the Holy Spirit is he's invisible. He's a spirit. He's invisible. And the son says, well, I want him to be uninvisible. <laughs> so, I mean, in a sense, we're going to try to, the Holy Spirit is spirit, and we would like to make him uninvisible in a sense. We want to get to know him. We want to, um, we want to grasp what he does, who he is, and uh, grow in that knowledge. So, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is not secondary to the gospel, uh, it's not merely a benefit of the gospel, but it's very much integral to the essence of the gospel. And I believe you talked about the gospel maybe last week. The Holy Spirit applies the gospel to the believer, making it effectual and operational. So um, when we hear the gospel, we have to have the Holy Spirit working in our lives to make the truth of that dawn on us. Uh, and the scriptures talk about the fact that that. Bible truth is revealed to us. We need God to open our eyes. We can be dead to the truth of it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So um, I believe you have this in your, on your handout, um, and I'll actually show you the scriptures up on the screen. But to start, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, this is Paul writing, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why do we know that? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. So Paul's writing about the fact that when he went to the region of, of Thessalonica, he preached the gospel. And the gospel had an impact. The gospel had a powerful uh, impact. You can read about that. I believe it's in Acts chapter 16. But he said that the gospel came with power and with the Holy Spirit. And that's good. When, when the gospel goes forth, 
we want the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. And uh, let's look uh, at another scripture. This is in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, and actually, this, this particular quote, this is quoting the, uh, John the Baptist. This is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Uh, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals are not, I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So this is uh, John the Baptist. He's talking. He's, he's a forerunner of Jesus and his ministry. And he says, look, you know, don't, don't put your eyes on me. I'm, I'm here to herald another one. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, you know, I, I'm baptizing you with water, but Jesus is going to come. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that could be, I, I think for us uh, as Christians, you could be very familiar with passages like this. You say, okay, yeah, the Holy Spirit. But you can imagine the first people hearing that would have said, what, you know, fire? I don't know. I, is that going to hurt? What is, it, what is he talking about? He's going to baptize me with fire? Well, we're going to talk about what he was meaning there. And actually, let's just roll through, Ron. These are the other three, in the other three books we see in Mark. He says he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. We move on from there to Luke. Uh, he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And finally, in the book of John, um, interesting, he says, uh, you know, I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John is referring to, if you remember, there's a time where, where Jesus is baptized himself. He's baptized in water. Anybody remember what happened? So he's, he's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. He's raised up and something happens. What, what happens? Right, right. Yeah, so there's a very dramatic scene. The, the Holy Spirit himself comes, and, it, and the scripture says it's kind of like a dove. It was, it was just uh, the Spirit comes, and he, and he, he comes down, and he uh, rests on Jesus, the Messiah. So um, John is basically saying, hey, the Lord told me, the one whom that happens to, he's going to be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So... There, there can be a lot of confusion around that phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, depending on your background and maybe church experience or uh, what your history is, that may conjure different things in your mind. Maybe some of you are like, I, it doesn't, doesn't bring up anything. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what does that mean, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let, let's let the Bible tell us what that means. So we're going to talk about the promised Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, uh, we'll talk about this in a second, he came very powerfully uh, on Pentecost to the church. Um, while it may have seemed surprising and dramatic, the, the Holy Spirit coming was something that was promised. It was promised for hundreds of years. God had told his people, get ready, something's going to happen. There's going to be a change in the way that I relate to you. And when that change happens... My Holy Spirit is going to come, and there's going to be a change in the way that you relate to me. So let's look at, uh, first of all, 
Uh, These are the words of Jesus in Luke 24, because Jesus often referred to the Spirit as what what the Father promised, or the gift my Father promised. Luke 24, starting in verse 46, says, This is what is written, The Christ must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So the father has promised something. And Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, go. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. Um, And this general um, charge is repeated in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Let's look at that. Acts chapter 1. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it's at this point, and in the words of Jesus himself, he's he's saying, you know, I've been talking to you about what the father has promised. And then he he lets him know, okay, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk a little bit about the promise itself. It it helps maybe to to kind of back up the tape a little bit into the Old Testament because um, the people of God, the the nation of Israel, they were waiting for something. They were waiting for this promise. It was something that was tangible and real, and they were, in a sense, always kind of looking on the horizon to say, you know, is today the day? When is this going to happen? Lord, you promised. Let's, Let's look at what what they were thinking of or or what encouraged them to think about this promise. Uh, It starts, and it really happens in many places throughout the Old Testament, but we'll start in Ezekiel chapter 11, starting in verse 19. God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesied for about 20, 22 years. The nation of Israel at this point is in, um, in exile. They're in Babylon. So, His messages primarily were, he talked about judgment coming to Israel. He talked about judgment coming to the nations around. But he also talked about promises and what was going to happen in the future. And this is one of those promises. So the Lord says, I will give them an undivided heart, and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Now, this language you'll see, uh, I don't believe I gave you this particular passage, but it's repeated in Ezekiel, if you want to look at this later, Ezekiel 18, verses 30 through 32. But then um, this promise is kind of expanded on a little bit later in the book of Ezekiel. Look at uh, Ezekiel Chapter 36, starting in verse 26, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So again, this is... um, Maybe familiar stuff to us, but for them, they're like, wait, what? You're going to put your, your spirit in me? How, how does that work? What does that look like? 
Um, and if you, if you look at the Old Testament, there's times where you see the Holy Spirit active in the lives of people. He, he comes upon people temporarily, and they're empowered to do great things for the Lord. Uh, it may be to do some extraordinary work. It may be to prophesy. You can see different times where the Holy Spirit comes on different men for, at a particular time, and they're gifted to speak the word boldly. So for, for the Lord to say, you know, you know what that, you know, you remember when that's happened? Well, I'm going to actually put my spirit in you. So again, this is something people are like, whoa, this is awesome. What a promise. Uh, let's look at Joel. Joel chapter 2 is um, actually a passage that Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and people are speaking in tongues and the crowd is, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but when Peter explains what happens, he says, look, let me remind you of something that was said hundreds of years ago. And what Peter talks about is in the book of Joel. It says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So again, this, this is, this is mind-blowing stuff for the people that heard this, when the, when the Israelites would read this. Because again, the Holy Spirit had, had kind of anointed certain people at certain times. A lot of times they were a priest or a prophet. All of a sudden, God's saying, look, I'm, I'm blowing the doors open. I'm, I'm going to pour out my spirit on sons and daughters, on old men, on young men, on men and women, on servants. He's, he's saying, this is, this is going to be, this is going big. This is going nationwide. This is, I'm pouring out my spirit liberally and abundantly and generously. And finally, Jeremiah chapter 31. God says, I will make a covenant, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, you could look at each one of these passages and just uh, treasure it and, and kind of get in there and think about it. But, you know, for the fact that, you know, the, the Israelites had the, the law. They had God's word, and it was, you know, it's there, it's written down. God's saying, look, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to, in a sense, I'm going to write the law. Instead of on tablets, I'm going to write it in your heart. I'm going to, because my spirit is working in you, I'm going to, I'm going to move you. I'm going, to, I'm going to lead you in ways that are beyond anything that I've done before. This is all part of that new covenant. This is part of the promise we've been talking about. So, the promise, in a sense, comes true on the day of Pentecost. So let's, let's look at that for a minute. Pentecost is the day that the promised Holy Spirit comes for the first time, the day that the, the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what the scriptures say about that, what that account looks like. Acts chapter 2, 
starting in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the day that the promise is fulfilled. This is the day that the Holy Spirit comes to empower the people of God for mission. Remember, Jesus had, had told them why they needed to go to Jerusalem. Why they, what do they need power for? He says, you're, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to make disciples of all nations, but you're not going to do it until you have the power of my Spirit working in you and through you. So, what was Pentecost? Um, Pentecost, a lot of times you tend to think of it as this event. Uh, if you think about Pentecost at all, you can tend to think of it as it's this, it's this event or it's this uh, kind of thing that happened. All the disciples, it's after Jesus was raised from the dead, after he ascended, uh, it's, it's when the Spirit was poured out. Well, this is not the first time that Pentecost was celebrated. Pentecost was celebrated for hundreds of years before this date. So it's, it's helpful to understand something about Pentecost. Because in a way, I don't know about you, when you look at this, this account, you say, okay, well, what happened here? So we've got, we've got disciples, they're all in one place, they're, they're praying, that's good. All of a sudden, there's... Something that sounds like a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't say it was windy. It doesn't say you know, anything was blown over or anything. It, there was this, this sound. You can imagine we're here tonight and all of a sudden you're hearing this, you know, I don't know, it sounds like a tornado in here. You're like, and nobody's hair is moving. You know, there's all, none of the pages are going. And then all of a sudden there's fire appears out of nowhere. And all of a sudden fire is, is resting on each person who's there. I mean, again, we're familiar with this, but imagine you were there. You're like, I don't know, what is going on? This is freaky. But when you understand a little bit of the history of Pentecost, all of a sudden you can start to say, wait a minute, all of those things that happen, they're all connected to something that happened before, something in the history of what Pentecost means. So let's talk about that for a a minute. So... Pentecost was celebrated as a renewal of the Sinai Covenant. Well, great. What's the Sinai Covenant? All right. So uh, when you think about when the nation of Israel is in Egypt, okay? We all think about Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. So um, anybody remember what, what Passover was? Beyond, you know, it's a good meal. There's something else. Mm-hmm. Very good. So the, the, the people of Israel had been in Egypt. They'd been there for hundreds of years. It started off good. They were there. They were being prepared uh, or provided for. But before long, they became enslaved. They were in bondage in Egypt. So 
through all the things, you know, we know the Moses saying, you know, let my people go, and he's telling Pharaoh to let him go, and finally the Lord says, look, I'm going to, I'm going to end this. I'm going to send the angel of death, and they do. They, they put, the Passover has to do with the fact that the, the people of Israel put lamb's blood over the doorposts of their homes, so the angel of death passed over them. Didn't, that death didn't come to them. So that's Passover. About 50 days later, you know, the nation, they left. There's Passover. They leave Egypt. They, they, begin to, they begin to travel. Ultimately, they end up at Mount Sinai. And it's at Mount Sinai that God does something else. So let's talk a little bit about that. So this is the time where the law is written on stone. Um, uh, the disciples, when they, um, when they came to celebrate uh, Pentecost, they were celebrating this event. So let's read about it a little bit. Uh, in Exodus uh, 19, if I have that up there, oh, good, I do. Uh, the Lord says, uh, if you obey me, And if you keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Uh, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. (laughs) Uh, Did they do everything the Lord had said? They didn't really do anything the Lord had said. Um, Again, this is when uh, they come to Mount Sinai. God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to initiate a covenant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have a, an agreement. I want to forge this, this bond with this people. So what happens? Moses goes up the mountain, gets the law, writes it, you know, God, God writes it on stones, stone tablets, comes down, and, you know, it's like, Things have gone crazy. They're, they've made a, a golden calf out of, uh, they melted their jewelry down. Yeah, hey, this, this seems like a good idea. Let's make a, let's make a god in the shape of a cow, and that should be, that's good, right? That's what they were doing when Moses gets back with the law. So, yeah, they did not, um, they did not obey at all. But... Um, Let's talk a little bit about a couple other things that happened at Mount Sinai. Because when we remember that at um, Pentecost, there's these tongues of fire. God comes down in tongues of fire. That's not the first time he's done that. The first time, or one of the other times that it happened, was at Mount Sinai. Um, God ascended or descended in fire at Mount Sinai. Look at Exodus 19. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke, like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. So at Mount Sinai, God comes down in fire, and that's how the, uh, the law was written on stone tablets at Mount Sinai. That's the first time God comes in fire. And as we said, the people were, were breaking the covenant from the get-go. 
Um, there's another significant time when God came down in fire. If you remember, um, so we're going to change the scene here a little bit from talking about Moses. and uh, Let's talk for a minute about David and Solomon. Remember King David, he always, he wanted to, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He just was so, mo- he's like, God, is now the time? Can I build a temple? God goes, no. Not. And finally, God says, no, you're, you're not going to build me a temple. And by, by the way, what, what temple could hold me? What, what temple build, built with human hands could contain me, the Lord of glory? But God ultimately says, I'll tell you what, your son is going to build for me a temple. That's, that's what's going to happen. Um, and that is the second time, or another significant time, that God came down in fire. Um, God came down in fire at the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. Look at Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Is it on there? Should be after Exodus 19. One more. Oh, okay. I'll read it to you. I guess I, I guess I erased it accidentally. But when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So Solomon is dedicating the temple. They've got the, uh, the offerings. Everything's there. And fire comes down from heaven, burns up all the offerings and the sacrifices. God's glory is just there in the temple. It fills it. So Jesus, who's the true son of David, is also building God's house. Uh, the church is God's house. The church is really the true temple not made with human hands. So we're now the temple of the Lord. And at, at Pentecost, that fire came to us. Uh, instead of descending on a mountain, the fire was divided. On Pentecost, it came to rest on each person. It wrote the, the law on people's hearts. And um, God's fire came to fill us as his temple, as his people. So let's talk a little bit more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit itself. So Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not really new. Um, It began as really a means of cleansing, of washing, of, of preparing God's people to receive God's covenant. Only Christ could cleanse from within with the Holy Spirit and with fire, so he could dwell in us. The baptism in the Spirit is about the entrance into Christ's body. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's Paul writing. He says, For we were all baptized with one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. That's First Corinthians twelve. Is that one not in there either? <laughs> okay, there we go. So we were all baptized into one uh, by one Spirit into one body, given the one Spirit to drink. So it makes sense if we're all baptized into one body, into the body of Jesus. It makes sense that we are all. Uh, baptized by one spirit. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit uh, does, not have, does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. There it is. Well, that's, uh, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Spirit-baptized people are people that God is remaking into the image of Christ. Uh, And we're walking in the new works that he prepared for us. Let me read this quote by, uh, another quote by Gordon Fee. He says that the Spirit's main role in Paul's view of things lies with his being the absolutely essential constituent for the whole of Christian life from beginning to end. Believers are described, think about this, they're described as living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit. The Spirit conforms believers to the image uh, and the likeness of Jesus. The, The Spirit is therefore the empowering presence of God for living in the life of God in the present. So you can't, you can't underestimate the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. We're uh, in a new covenant because of Jesus. And uh, God's at work in us through his Spirit. Part of the work that the Spirit does is regenerating us. So when you were born again... Uh, when you responded to the gospel, the Holy Spirit was at work in that regeneration. So if you look at John chapter 6, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. When you think about your own testimony, and uh, I know it could vary in here, but when people talk about coming to the Lord, well, When you came to the Lord, it's because he was drawing you. You may not have been aware of that. A lot of times we're not. We we have no idea what God's doing in our lives. But but he's drawing us to himself. And the one that draws us to himself is the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Spirit also is at work testifying before the world of Jesus and who he is. He testifies about the person of Jesus. He convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit applies the gospel effectively to our hearts, regenerating us. Look at Titus chapter 3. Paul writes, says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth in the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So we're renewed by the Holy Spirit. There's a renewal, there's a remaking, there's a change in our lives that comes 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit doing that work. So in addition to the regenerating work, there's the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit transforms believers into the image of Christ. That's part of our life as we, as we walk with the Lord. We want to be transformed day by day and year by year. We want to grow more and more like Jesus. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that works that process in us. Look at Philippians <clears throat> chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, this is Paul writing, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's good news, that God is at work in us. Um, and it's interesting, this passage looks very similar. It kind of reminds us of something that was prophesied in a passage we read earlier in Ezekiel 36, where God says, I, I will put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the fact that, that the spirit is at work in us, transforming us day by day, leading us closer and closer in our relationship with the Lord that's, that's a promise of God, a promise that came forth in, in Ezekiel and other places and is being fulfilled today. So the primary role of the Spirit in the life of the believer is conforming us to the image of Christ. So it's good to maybe think a little bit about comparing how did the Old Testament saint walk with the Lord and how does the New Testament saint walk so in the Old Testament, they walked in the law. The, the Christian walks in the Spirit. The, the law would shine the light on the path of the Old Testament saint, showing him how to walk. The Spirit lives in us, illumines our path. The Holy Spirit shines his light on Jesus and allows us to follow him. Paul even said one time he had reasons to boast because of his standing in the law. He considered that dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ. So um, it's the spirit that conforms us to the image of Jesus. It, it kind of makes sense. When you think about we're, we're called to grow in holiness. And uh, I mean, it seems obvious to me now, but at the time I think, hey, well, maybe if I need to be holy, maybe the Holy Spirit will help me. You know, and uh, I believe it's in Romans chapter 1. There's one place, rather than talking about the Holy Spirit, it says the spirit of holiness. You think, wow, that's, that's good. Lord, the more I walk in step with the Holy Spirit, the more I'm filled with him, that makes sense that I would be more holy. I would grow in holiness. Um, holiness looks like Jesus. Holiness looks like, look at Galatians chapter 5. It's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. This is holiness. This fruit of the Spirit is holiness. So as we uh, grow in uh, surrendering ourselves to the Spirit of the Lord, there's this fruit that happens. It, 
there's, there's results of the Spirit moving in us and through us. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's another, another mention of fruit. We have to remain in Jesus. He has to remain in us by his spirit. Well, finally, we've talked a little bit about the regenerating work of the Spirit. We've talked about the transforming work of the Spirit, the fact that he conforms us to the image of Christ. We'll finally end kind of with what we started with in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work of, of the ministry. So we're speaking of the empowering work of the Spirit for mission. So recall, think about it, when, when Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem, to wait there until they were clothed with power from on high, that power was for a purpose. He, they, that purpose was the mission that Jesus had given them. So uh, there was a specific empowerment for mission. What was that mission? Good to be reminded of that. Well, that mission was to make disciples of all nations. God wants us to make disciples of all nations. He wants us to take the gospel everywhere we go, but he wants to empower us for that work and for that mission. Um, They joined constantly in prayer. They relied on the power of the Spirit for all they did. Uh, Actually, look briefly again at Acts chapter 2. It's talking of the first church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship the breaking of bread and to prayer every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So they didn't stop meeting together to pray. Remember, the day of Pentecost, they were gathered for something. It was to pray. They didn't stop praying. It's like, okay, well, great. We've got the power of the Spirit now. You know, we don't have to pray anymore. No, they continued to pray. They didn't cease to trust in the power of God to work and to carry out what he called them to do. They continued to be God-dependent. Let me close just with a brief mention, and I think this is printed in your outline. So the, the Spirit continues to empower us for ministry. He empowered those first disciples in Jerusalem, but that's, that's how we have power to minister. And I believe there's a little clip from our statement of faith Uh, talking about the the power of the Spirit. And if you look at our statement of faith uh, as a church, it says, although all believers were baptized in one spirit, into one body at conversion, there's one baptism, not two separate events, the New Testament indicates the importance of an ongoing, empowering work of the Spirit subsequent to conversion as well. The Holy Spirit desires to fill each believer continually with power for Christian life and witness and imparts his supernatural gifts for the edification of the church and for various works of ministry in the world. All the gifts of the Spirit at work in the church during the first century are available today. They're vital for the mission of the church and are to be earnestly desired and practiced. We do not believe that certain gifts of the Spirit have ceased to operate in the church today. So one of the things, we've talked a number of times about this new covenant, uh, this Holy Spirit infilling, it's not a one-time event. So 
If you're in Christ, if you at some point in your life have surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, you've embraced the gospel, you're a Christian, well, at that time, the Holy Spirit came into your life. Um, but he, will, he continues to fill us. There's, that's part of what that first church was praying about. They're continually coming and just saying, Lord, you filled me to, before, but Lord, fill me again. Lord, I need you. I need more of your spirit at work in me. I need you to, I just can't do the things you called me to do. God, fill me afresh. And God, uh, God answered the prayer of that first church. He says the, the place that they were meeting was shaken. You know, these are the people that were there at Pentecost, and the Spirit is filling them afresh for ministry. Um, so God wants to continually fill us with his Spirit. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then uh, if you have questions, uh, certainly we've got some time available. We could do a little Q&A. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the truth that this teaching reminds us of. Lord, that you dwell within us. Holy Spirit, that, that you have been poured out by Jesus himself into our lives and into our hearts. Thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you draw us to Jesus. You transform us. You regenerate us. You empower us for ministry. Lord, we need you. Lord, thank you for the reminder that in this life, all that we're called to do as Christians, we need your power to do. So Lord, I know in my own life and and for others in this room, we want to be filled again. We want to be filled afresh. Lord, Holy Spirit, we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, fill our hearts. Fill us to overflowing. Lord, fortify us and give us power to bring you glory in the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.